Aren't you glad that he's always there? Amen. There was Jesus. We, it's so good to be back. We uh, appreciated Richard taking care of the service last week. Didn't he do a tremendous job? Amen. And today we're going to be, if you would just set it here, guys. Today we're going to be uh, speaking about what are you carrying? Would you say that with me? What are you carrying? What are you carrying? What are you, Where's everybody at? Are you, oh, you, you packed for the mission trip? Yes, ready to go. What do you got in your bag? Something for you. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it up here on this table. Let me take a look at it. Dry milk, bread, Fruit Loops. My goodness, Lane. Cheez-Its, Snickers. It wasn't big enough to put everything I wanted to in it. Peanut butter. Almonds. Nilla wafers. Oh, look at that thread. <laughs> what, did, Doug, what have you got? My goodness. Oh, thanks. <laughs> that might fit my hand. Give them a big hand, would you? Thank you, guys. Now, as odd as this might seem to you, when we went on a mission trip, this is what we carried. I want to talk to you for just a little while today on what are you carrying. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew, the 14th chapter. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We just ask you, God, to speak to our hearts today. Lord, let me be a conduit, God, that you can flow through. I'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. What I've determined is that people carry different things in life. I've seen some people carry grudges for years. I've watched other people that carried a, you know, Debbie, Debbie told me, she said, and, and which I really didn't appreciate her talking about dying, but she told me, she said, if anything happens to me, I want to make sure that you have a DH at my funeral. And a DH is a designated hugger. <laughs> That's true. She said, I'm serious about that. I want to, because Debbie carries that affirmation with her. She's, she's always been a hugger, and she makes people feel good about themselves. As a matter of fact, I, I, you know, I, I've seen several of you run up to her after a servant and say, oh, I need to get my hug today, and none of you have ever done that to me. <laughs> but she carries something. Special in that, and, and I, I, I realize that what we carry has an impact not just on us, but on those around us. How many of you have ever been around someone that just carried a spirit of depression or a spirit of anger or a spirit of anxiety? 
You know, and, 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 and those things, if we're not careful, those things get on us. And so today I want to ask the question, what are you carrying? In the gospel, I'm, I'm going to start in uh, Matthew, the 14th chapter, and I, I, I hardly ever do this, but I'm going to read quite a few, a few verses. I'll read them quickly, but there's a reason I'm doing it. It's because the verses that I'm going to read to you today, there's only one miracle outside of the miracle of his resurrection that is recorded in every gospel, only one. There are different miracles recorded about blind people being healed, but those weren't the same miracle. Those were different people. But there's one miracle that is recorded. It's so important, and you've got to, you, you've got to stop and consider this. If it's the only one that's recorded in every gospel, there's a reason for it. And I want to explore the reason today. Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Mark chapter 6 verse 35 Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With that, they asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Luke 9, starting with verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? In those three gospels, when it records that same miracle, there's very little difference in the writing and in, in it being recorded. But the fourth gospel, we read about things that the other writers never mention. In the fourth gospel, that writer sees things that either these other three did not see or that they did not consider it important enough to mention. Now, please keep in mind that when, if, if there's an accident out here on the road, what do police officers do? Ben, you're a state trooper. What do you do? You, you interview everybody at the scene of the crime. You want to talk to, or at the scene of the accident, I'm sorry, not the crime, but you, at the scene of the accident, or if there's been a crime committed, you, you interview everybody at the scene of the crime. You want everyone's perspective and there's a reason, because everybody sees something different. In other words, people tend to see things that stand out to them. You know, I, I was traveling one time. I went to a camp, and Debbie, when I got back from the camp, she said, well, I can't remember who it was, but she said, what were they wearing? I said, clothes. I had no clue, man. I couldn't tell you. I'd have to look. I couldn't tell you. Look, if I want to find out what I'm wearing this week, next week, 
I'm going to have to go online and look at the video and find out what I had on because I, I won't remember. I can't even tell you what I had on yesterday. I had a, Well, why not? Because it doesn't matter that much to me. And I know a lot of you go, well, yeah, I know that. Because <laughs> his wife dresses him. It matters to her. <laughs> so what I'm saying is everybody sees things differently. Now, before I read this next account in the Gospel of John, I think it's important that we find out a little bit about John before I read his account. John is the disciple that Jesus loved. You just ask him, he'll tell you. He did five times. He told you that in the, in, in the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. He told you in the 19th chapter. He told you in the 20th chapter. And he told you twice in the 21st chapter that he was the disciple Jesus loved. And not one of the other writers ever mentioned that. The only place you find out that John is the beloved disciple is in his Gospel. But before we just shake it off or write, it is a little comical, but... There's a reason for it, and I want to show you. There's something to it. Because when they're at the Last Supper, and all of a sudden they're sitting there, and Jesus makes a statement that rocks their world. He looked at them and he said, one of you are going to betray me. And when they did, no one had a clue that it was Judas. Man, they start looking around the room, and they, you know, they're thinking, well, who is that? Is it, I mean, is it me? Is it, you know, and, and Peter sees John And John is where? John has his head on the chest of Jesus. Let me say it to you this way. John had his head where the heart is. And all of a sudden, Peter understood, if I want to find out something uh, from Jesus, I'm going to ask John. So Peter motions for John and John leans over to where Peter's at and Peter looked at John and he said ask him who it is why didn't Peter just ask him himself it's because even Peter recognized that there was something different about John's relationship and John leaned back over and he looked up at Jesus he leaned on his chest and he looked up at him he said Lord who is it And Jesus takes and he breaks off a piece of bread. He dips it in a dish and he looked at John and he said, it's the person that I give this to. And he handed it to Judas. I want to leave for your consideration that John had an insight to Jesus that the others didn't have because John had his head where the heart is. In other words, let me say it this way. Jesus revealed to John what he did not reveal to others. Well, how can you prove that? John wrote the book of Revelation of those things that were revealed. John was the only disciple that saw those things. So if you will... John is in a position where Jesus is telling him and showing him things that nobody else has seen. Now, let's read this same account in the book of John. John chapter 6, verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude toward him, 
He said to Philip, it's already changed. The story already changed. Not one of the other writers recorded that. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Listen to this. But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Everybody say, Jesus knows what he's doing. He knew what he was going to do. Now look at this, John 7 to 9, this is in the Amplified. Philip answered, 200 denarii, 200 days' wages worth of bread is not enough for each one to receive even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these among so many? Not one of the other gospels, not one of those writers ever mentioned that little boy. Yet the little boy is key to the story. The little boy plays a vital role how many of you have ever felt like sometimes you were just forgotten? <laughs> you ever, how, how, many of you, how many of you details matter to? You, you know, the details are important. All you women ought to be up jumping and yelling right now. Everybody say, say, what are you talking about? Ladies, let me ask you a question. Your husband comes home and you ask him, how was his day? How's your day? What's his answer? Fine. You just, you just described over eight hours of your life with one word. Fine. That's not what she's after. She's after details. She wants to know who you talked to. What did you have for lunch? What, did, what, what were they wearing down there today? What was going on? How, do you understand what I'm saying? They want details. Guys, read headlines. When, you flip, when I, I, I go, I've got a Fox News app. I go through, I don't read the story. I just go through, scroll, and, and look at the headlines, and then I know everything that's going on. I don't need all the details. But how many of you know that details are important to God? Oh, you, oh, come on, man. Do you understand that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? That there's not one of you in here that had the same thumbprint? There's not one of you in here that are identical? That God uniquely made you? He's got a purpose for your life and a plan for your life, and he does not spare on the details. Just take a look at nature around you. How many of you ever noticed the details? Do you realize that the oxygen levels that we breathe, that if it gets off just a little, we die? That the atmosphere that we're in, that if it changes, that if we, if we get tilted toward the sun and we, just a degree that we could burn up or go the other way and we could freeze, God is into the details Debbie, one time when her was sitting on the porch with her dad, and they were talking, and she watched this little ant come up, and there was a cracker, piece of cracker that was on the ground, and this ant walked all around that cracker trying to lift it up. It, it circled it, trying to lift it and lift it, could not get it up, and it, and it walked off. And, and you know, we, we thought, well, the thing's just given up, but Debbie turned around, and she looked at her dad, and she said, he's going to get his friends, and she was just kidding but about 10 minutes later, here came a line of ants. 
a single file line of ants. And you know what they did? They surrounded that cracker. And that one ant looked at them and said, you may have been too big for me, uh, but I got my buddies with me now, and we're going to take you down. Uh, well, he really didn't say that, but what I'm saying is this, is you've got to understand that God never intended for you to live by yourself, for you to live, uh, to, to isolate yourself. No man's an island. We've got to recognize that we need each other. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Now turn around and look at your neighbor and say, you need me. Now let me ask you a question. Which one felt better? The one, the one that felt better was you saying, you need me. You, you can't make it without me. Do you just realize, but do you understand? Here's the truth, is that God wants us to understand we need one another. The disciples, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke never mentioned the little boy. But Jesus knew the little boy was there. How do you know that? Because... When he asked Philip, where can we buy bread that these may eat? He didn't ask him because he didn't know the answer. The Bible said that he asked him to test Philip because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew that there was a little boy in that crowd that had five loaves and two fish. And Jesus knew something the little boy didn't know. The little boy thought he was just carrying five loaves and two fish. But Jesus knew that the little boy was carrying a miracle. How many of you recognize and understand that you're carrying a miracle? So, oh, come on. I, I can't believe that. I'm carrying a miracle uh, me carrying a miracle? When they came in, they put this luggage out, and, and I know it was just a, you know, for you to see, and it was kind of funny, but every time we went on a mission trip, this got packed on that mission trip. We got to Guatemala. Our luggage didn't show up. We had to fly into a mountain range, and we could not leave without the tools. We ended up going into town and having to buy brand new tools to take on that plane. Why? Because, my friend, this was what was going to produce a miracle. There was a village that had no school, and we could, they didn't want a church, but we were told that they needed a school. The missionary said, if you'll build a school, we'll teach reading, writing, arithmetic, and Jesus. I want you to know we were carrying a miracle with us. When we went back up in that mountain range, it wasn't me coming off and declaring the gospel that changed their lives. It was laying mud and brick and stone and building a school that still to this day they're learning about Jesus hear what I'm saying don't forget what you carry what you carry makes all the difference in the world this isn't this is not pretend Lane packs a grocery store when she goes on a mission trip I tell her I said you need to eat the food that's there We went, we were in Russia, and they served us borscht. I'm over there eating it, 
and Lane's smiling. And I, th- and I told him, I said, you all need to eat this stuff. I said, because if you don't, you know, these folks are going to be offended. And, and so Lane's over there smiling. I didn't realize what she was doing. I noticed that her bowl was getting empty. And I thought, I'm so proud of her. Doug just stood up and said, I'm the cameraman. I can't eat. <laughs> he was filming. But all of a sudden, when it's over, I found out that Lane has filled her purse up with borscht. She had her purse shoved under the table, and she's taking borscht and putting it in the napkins and, and, and dumping it in her purse. And when they saw that her bowl was empty, they said, oh, you like, she don't, no, 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 I got no more room in my purse. <laughs> it may look just like a loaf of bread or peanut butter to you, but let me tell you that when I went on that trip and we were in Russia, there were people, there were Americans that were lined up at her door. My nephew, Judge, was one of them. You all know Judge. He saw stuff on the table being brought out he didn't recognize. He went down. He's knocking on Lane's door, and he said, I heard you've got peanut butter and jelly down here. She smiled real big and said, come on in. I'm carrying your miracle. You, yeah, yeah, I know this, it sounds odd, but when we first went to Russia and, and I, I, we took in powdered milk, they couldn't get it. And so we take, and sometimes carrying a miracle isn't easy. We had 40 people on that trip, and I'd filled their suitcases full of supplies. We had 3,000 pounds of supplies in suitcases. One of those boys, his name was Tim Reed, and Tim, if you're watching, thank you, was carrying, I'd shoved powdered milk in his suitcase. I said, carry this. It was a box. During all the traveling, it broke open. He's in the airport in Russia, and white powder is coming out of his suitcase. One of the guys with us, a friend of mine, he passed his church, his name was Van. He was going, hey, hey, and he's pointing to that, and, and Tim's going, be quiet, Van, be quiet. The airport was run by the military. They see this guy coming through there with white powder coming out of his case. They grabbed Tim, got his suitcase, took him over to a table. They threw that suitcase open, zipped it open, saw that, that white powder, and started tasting it. And they said, oh, okay. When Tim got to me, he was as white as the powder was. He was shaking. I didn't know what had happened. He came up to me, and he looked at me, and he said, I ain't never carrying nothing for you again. It wasn't easy, but there were families that got that powdered milk that had access to no milk at all. And I know that for him, it may have been a little difficult, but for that family, it was a miracle. They, they had stood in line for hours for bread. And then oftentimes when they would get to the end of the line, they, bread was gone. I think the thing that impacted me the most was this. <laughs> Thread. I carried it in my suitcase. One of my suitcases got lost. And I kept going. This young man kept carrying, taking me to the airport. I finally got the suitcase back a month after I'd been home. 
but he'd, he'd taken me every day. And so I, I wanted to, you know, thank him. And I unzipped the suitcase and I handed out some thread and I put it down. This is the God's truth. When I put that thread down, he dropped down on his knees, threw his hands up and started praising God. And I looked, I guess my mouth must have dropped open. And he looked at me and he said, you don't understand. We can't even get this here. I was carrying a miracle and I didn't even realize it. When, oh God, help us to recognize that it's not the lightning and the thunder that make the difference. It's the things that we carry that we don't even realize that we're carrying a miracle for somebody. You may be carrying a, do you remember scripture with Elisha? Elisha goes to Gilgal and there's been a famine. And when he gets over there and there's that famine, he tells him, he said, okay, y'all, he said, you know, fix, fix a pot of stew. And, and he tells the servant, fix a pot of stew. And they start throwing stuff in it. He had, apparently had some food with him. They, there was some meat and they started, his servants started throwing stew in and they went out and they gathered gourds. Some of them gathered wild gourds. I can't go collect mushrooms because I don't know which ones will kill me. And one of those servants got a hold of a poisonous gourd and shredded it up in that bowl. It's a famine. I'm not talking about they've missed a meal. I'm talking about they haven't eaten. They reached into that pot and they took a bite of it and immediately they recognized and they spit it out. And they cried out, Father, there's death in the pot. I want to eat it. It smells good, but I can't. And he said, bring me some flour. Flour? I wonder, and then at another point, stay with me there. So somebody brings that flour, he throws it in the pot, and it healed it. And they're able to eat it. At another point, they were in a, a, a city, and the water was bad. And they said, look, this is a great place, Master said, but, but the water's bad, and, and, and you know, the, the land, we can't do anything here. And he said, bring me a bowl of salt. And they brought him a bowl of salt, and he took the salt to the spring and threw it in and healed it. And we read about the account of him throwing in the salt and throwing in the flour. But no place in Scripture is the name of the person recorded that carried that miracle to him. Somebody carried that flower to him. Somebody carried the salt to him. And I want to promise you through the eons of time that have passed by, God has never forgotten the name of the individual that carried the miracle. God does not forget you. God knows what he's called you to. He knows the purpose he has in your life. You may have a miracle in your hand. When Mary showed up back in town pregnant, nobody was buying the story about the angel. They ridiculed her. They laughed at her. They threatened her. Said hurtful things to her. And Mary could have allowed all that stuff to weigh her down. How many of you have ever 
had what someone say become a burden for you to carry? Do you think God wants us to carry that? How many of you ladies in here have ever been expecting, ever been pregnant? Just stand up real quick if you have been. If I see a guy stand, what are you standing up for? Okay. Okay, he was sitting down. All right. I, I said that, and I turned around, and there's a guy standing up over here. I, okay. So let me ask you, in your ninth month, in the ninth month, when you went grocery shopping, you had a car full of groceries. Did you tell your husband, just, just stay and watch television. Don't bother to get up. I'll get it. Start to pull up and honk the horn. Hey, I got a load out here. Or did you just decide that you wanted to run down to the gym and lift some weights? Work out. You, can you imagine? How many of you had to carry the laundry? You know, got a great big basket of laundry, nine months pregnant, going across the No, you couldn't carry that because you were carrying something else. Thank you. You can give them a hand, would you? Can I tell you that Mary did not carry their words because Mary was too busy carrying a miracle? Mary had a miracle inside of her. She carried that miracle 70 miles on donkey, being jostled around across rough terrain. And I don't believe that one time she ever said, God, I'm so upset with you because you made me carry this. Matter of fact, if you read the book of Luke, the second chapter, you'll read a song that she sang to God, thanking him for what he allowed her to carry. This past week, I was supposed to be preaching in Louisiana. We got to Hot Springs, and when we got to Hot Springs, I was waiting for a call because a hurricane was headed to Louisiana. Phone call came, and it was George Lee that'll be with us on the 19th. And he said, Rick, he said, I'm afraid to have you come in. He said, if it doesn't move, he said, we're all right. He said, but if this thing shifts at all, he said, we could be in for a horrible storm. And he said, then you'd end up being stranded. He said, besides all that, they're already evacuating people. So the roads were filled with cars and gas stations were already at a max with lines in them and, and, and the threat of running out of gas. So we played it on the safe side and we stayed in hot springs. But I told him, I said, keep me posted. So he called me, if you would, Run that clip for me. Ida was the strongest hurricane that ever Those hit who Louisiana. stayed feared they would die. The communities of Grand Isle, Golden Meadow, and Matthews taking a direct and unforgiving hit from Ida. Dozens called for help to get out, but no one could make it in. Josh Welch rode out the hurricane on his barge in Grand Isle. It's like being in a blizzard. You couldn't really see around you at times. I wouldn't want to go through it again, that's for sure. Those who survived the impact are now struggling to escape the aftermath. Emergency teams can't make rescues and can barely make phone calls to get word out on local radio. Uh, Grand Isle got hammered probably harder than they've ever been hammered before. The road to rescue perhaps as dangerous as the choice to stay behind. 
Highways and back roads across Louisiana are a minefield of downed trees and power lines. I had to get them to come rescue me from my house to get out. And you're out here trying to open these roads. Yeah, right, that's how bad it is. This is where the only road to Grand Isle ends. It's still under several feet of water and just behind me, broken into pieces. It's in the community down this road here where neighbors were said to be on the rooftops waiting for help. They had to rescue them off of their housetops. They said that the storm came in and there were wind surges that hit 170 miles an hour. It was the strongest storm that hit that state. They said it was equivalent to having a category, or not a category, but a, what do they call the levels on a tornado? They, they said it was, it was like a, a number five hurricane coming in. At one place, they said it was like a number three that was 15 miles wide coming through, just ripping everything up in its path, and it's still taking lives. It worked its way up the coast, and people in New York from the rainfalls and the flooding have drowned and lost their lives from it. You say, well, what am I supposed to do about it? You carry something. So what do you mean you carry something? I had George Lee call me and I said, I want, you, I want to know what we can do to help. So he called me and he said, Rick, he said, this is what's going on. He said that we didn't get hit, but they're using us as a staging area. So teams were coming there and going out to try and do work. They've asked for, and you'll see it in your bulletin, they've asked for shovels or for garden tools, rakes, shovels, pop-top cans that, that they can just pop and eat out of the can. These folks, are, there's several of these people that are still can't be getting out, can't get in or out. They don't have electricity. For some of them, they said it could be months before electricity is restored to them and weeks for others. They're in the high... 90s up there with that Louisiana sweat that you know what I'm talking about the humidity in that place you say well what what can I do what can I possibly do how can I make a difference do you realize that when you bring when you carry something to be given you have no idea whether or not you're carrying a miracle several years ago we were doing a mission trip to Mexico on that trip, someone had carried us. We were loading it up, and I, I happened to see it, and I thought, man, this is weird. Somebody carried us baby bottles full of formula. And I'm thinking, what? You know, I, honestly, I just didn't think about it because I, you know, it wasn't like that our mission was to babies. I mean, we weren't going to a child, children's hospital or anything. We packed it on, you know, and took it down. I thought, well, somebody get use out of it. Debbie had seen it unloading it, and she took it and, and you know, had put it with the other stuff. And then we had no clue. The next day, a lady showed up at the camp we were staying at, and she was carrying a baby that was lifeless in her arms. That baby hadn't eaten in, I think, two, like a couple of days. She had nothing to give the child. She had no milk. She, she, she came in, and she said she was just asking for the baby. She said, you, you know, nothing for me, just the baby. And Debbie remembered that those bottles that had come in, and she ran back, and she started digging through that stuff, and she popped that bottle out, had formula in it, gave it to that baby, stuck it in its mouth, and they said that baby's eyes opened up, and all of a sudden... 
and started sucking that bottle down. That baby drank two bottles of that formula and started moving and playing again. I, I, what I'm saying is this, is the person that brought that to us had no idea that they were carrying a miracle. I had no idea when I was driving it down in that trailer that there was a miracle in that trailer. I'm telling you that God has placed a miracle in your hand, in your heart, in your mouth. It may be a word of encouragement from you that you speak to someone else that transforms a life. Young man, he was a teenager, he was coming home from school. I think, I, I can't remember, a sophomore or something in high school. He had a, his hands were just filled with books. And he started down the hallway, and as he started down the hallway, he lost grip on those books, and the man fell all over the floor, scattered. And a boy came walking down, didn't know him, and he just stopped and started helping him pick up his books, introduced himself, and told him, you know, my name's, and, and so they traded names, and he said, man, he said, where are you going with all these books? And he said, well, I'm, I'm going home. And he said, well, where do you live? And he told him where he lived, and his house wasn't far from there. He said, well, here, I'll help carry him home for you. And he, oh, you don't have to. No, I'll help. I'll. And so he helped carry those books home. When they got to the boy's house, the other fellow that had been helping him carry looked at him and said, hey, you want to come to my house and, you know, have a Coke and, you know, we can listen to some music and talk? And, and the other boy looked at him and he said, well, yeah, I, I could do that. And he, he went, and they became good friends stayed friends man throughout high school that they got to the end of the the that the, the high school years and and he he went to him and he said i i've always wanted to tell you this but i never did he said what is it he said you remember the day that you saw me and i dropped the books he said yeah i said what about it he said did you ever wonder why i was carrying all those books and he said well i thought maybe you know you were some kind of you know, God liked to study all the time. He said, I thought it was a little odd. He said, but he said, I had emptied my locker out. He said, I was taking those books home, and he said, I was going to kill myself. Already had the letter prepared because he felt like no one cared for him. That boy had no idea that when he carried that boy's books home, he was carrying a miracle. His friendship, his interest in that life saved that boy. Would you stand with me? What are you carrying? I've watched folks carry disappointment their whole life, carry hurt. And when you carry those things, it doesn't change you. And it doesn't change anyone around you for the better. But when you make up your mind, I'm not going to carry this junk anymore. I know it doesn't look like a miracle to you, but I could take you to places in Guatemala, in Mexico, in Belize, where a miracle standing. You know what the other miracle was? So I got to be a part of it. I didn't know how to build. I knew nothing about building. If you'd have put me out there by myself and said, we need a church, I'd have said, I'll pray for you. Sometimes that's a little, I don't want to 
I don't want this to sound bad, but sometimes that's the easy way out, isn't it? Just saying, I'll pray. And God help us if we forget to. God sent a man with me. Didn't know much about preaching. But he knew a lot about building. And he was willing to go. And I was willing to come off of my pulpit, get out of my suit, get on some jeans and sweat to see a miracle happen. One of those trips, his son made. Came in, his son had been away from God and was struggling with drugs. He came on one of those trips where we were building a church. And he started building. Remember I told you what you carry doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. He made friends with the men in that village. And when it came time to leave, I watched these grown men stand out there with tears in their eyes as they started to say goodbye to each other. It wasn't long after that 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 young man made another trip. This one was in Mexico. And we were in a village that was outside. We were actually in an open field. And that night, God did the building. Because he took that young man's life And he began to remake it as that young man surrendered to Jesus in the middle of that field. (laughs) What if the builder hadn't been willing to go? What if he just said, I'm too busy, got too much stuff on my plate. I got no time to go lay block in the middle of nowhere. See, sometimes what we don't recognize and understand is the miracle we're carrying sometimes becomes our own. Mary carried Jesus. I wonder if she understood that one day Jesus would carry her. (laughs) Carry her. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. We're going to pray and I'm asking God to use you. This is what God's laid on my heart. We're going to begin to collect supplies. I had some. I didn't even share this part of the message in the the first service. I didn't didn't talk about this part. But you know what happened? I didn't even tell Debbie this. I got out in the lobby, and a lady came up to me, and she handed me a $100 bill, and she said, I want to give this toward the relief effort in Louisiana. I hadn't even told her that we were going to take a group down there. What we plan to do is we're going to start collecting supplies. This whole month we're collecting supplies. The plan is this will be a three-part relief effort. We'll collect the supplies and we'll carry the supplies down and get them in their hands. Then what happens usually is 30 to 45 days after a tragedy like this occurs, people completely forget. It's not on the news anymore. 
Everybody goes about their normal life except the people that went through it. And their lives are still torn apart. So after the first of the year, I plan to take a work group in, a work trip in. And we'll go in and we'll find out those people that have been forgotten. And we'll start clearing their houses out and do what, we, what needs to be done for them. The third part of it is this. And this hit me when Katrina came through. And I, do you realize that this, this hurricane hit on the anniversary of Katrina? It had been 15 year, 16 years earlier. Same day is what I've been told. When I, Katrina hit, I was in Biloxi, or afterwards, I'd gone to Biloxi and saw all the devastation, and it was like this. It looked like a war zone. Houses were completely blown apart. Now, I'd been at a church, and I was meeting with them, and I said, I just want to hear your story. And as they were talking to me, in my mind, I was thinking, well, we'll you know, Christmas is coming up. Christmas is going to be coming. These folks don't have anything. We'll put together a basket, put together, you know, a meal for them in a basket so they'll have something to cook and all that. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And all of a sudden, God spoke to me and said, that's what they need is another line to stand in. And man, it just knocked the wind out of me. And I heard him tell me, throw a party. (laughs) So we went down to Biloxi and we rented a civic center and we decorated for Christmas. We were there, I think it was the first week in December. And man, it was decked out. Christmas trees all over the place. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't have anything to do with the decorating. I was just carrying stuff in. But Lane had been there and other ladies came in and they decorated. It looked beautiful. Big long table down the middle of that room that had all kinds of foods on it. And, and then they started to come in. And the first two ladies that came in, I walked up to greet them, and tears were streaming down their face. And I thought, oh, man, what's wrong? And I said, are you okay? And they looked at me, and they said, yeah. I said, you don't understand. They said, you've given us Christmas back. They said, this is the first time our family has been able to meet together since this happened. That was December. That happened in the latter part of August. And their family hadn't been able to meet together because FEMA had given 15-foot trailers and everybody was separated. But we were able to throw a party. When this happened, and the Lord, I'd already talked to George Lee and I'd hung the phone up. And I called him right back. It just hit me again. And I called him back and I said, George Lee, what do you think about throwing a Christmas party? So we're working with three sheriff's departments and some churches will identify those that were hardest hit and they'll receive an invitation I'm asking you to help carry that miracle we'll be collecting toys for children we'll be taking people down if you you can get off to go down we'll need servers we'll need people that can hug we'll need some DHs bunch of little Debbies running around designated huggers to, and I, I'm serious don't go don't 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 make the trip if you're going to stand there and look at everybody because they don't need folks to look at them they need folks to love them they need folks to hug them 
And I know this church is filled with those type of people. So I'm, we're going to pray. I'm asking you to ask God to stir up the gift that's in you. You all have one. That little boy must have felt like, man, I packed this bread and fish around forever. And, you know, I can't even get anybody to buy it. I don't know what he was doing with five loaves and two fish. I figured he was there to sell it. I often wondered about what that conversation was like when they came up to him and said, Jesus wants to know if you'll give him what's in your hand. And he's promised that if you do, you're going to see a miracle. That boy walked away from there with a story to tell the rest of his life. Yeah, I fed over 5,000 people. (laughs) Me and Jesus, we did it. And that's what he wants. He just wants you to join hands with his hands so we can carry a miracle to the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we love you. Thank you, God, for this church family. God, for people that love and care. I'm asking you today, God, to smile on them. Lord, as we begin to gather the supplies, as we begin to carry tools and food, we're asking you, God, to turn it into a miracle. Let it go to the people specifically that need it. Let it touch lives and change them. I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to end with this, and we're going to dismiss you. For years, there was a little lady. She was in her 80s, in her late 80s when we met her, and then she, she kept doing it, and she turned, she went into her 90s, and she, she ironed for money. She ironed people's clothes so she could get money to go to the Goodwill and buy stuffed animals for children. And she would take those stuffed animals home and she would wash them and she got clothes and she dressed them. And she kept us supplied with stuffed animals for years. We carried hundreds, well, probably thousands of stuffed animals around the world. I wonder if she understood that she was carrying a miracle. We asked her one time about it, and she looked at me, and she said, you know, she said, when I was little, I never had any toys. said, I used to go out, and I'd get sticks and pretend like they were people and play with those. She said, and I always felt like every child ought to have a toy. She carried a miracle. How do you know that? Pastor Rick, because I saw it. I saw those kids' faces light up. Man, we took those those stuffed animals in a boat across the Gulf on an island that had been hit with a hurricane that had ripped it off. And we were in a little church there and started passing these toys out. And I saw girls' faces light up when they got a doll. I saw little boys' faces light up when all of a sudden they were handed a stuffed animal and they ran around playing with those. And it seemed so insignificant to so many people. But God knew she was carrying a miracle. She's in heaven today. And I've got a feeling that probably for the first time, 
God let her see all those miracles she carried. Can you just love you? Stretch your hands to heaven and love him with me. Father, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. As you leave today, ushers are at the door for your tithe and offering. But if you want to write a check or put some money in an envelope, you don't have to do it today. I know I'm springing this on you. But for this next month, every Sunday, you're going to have the opportunity to give toward this relief. If you want to, you can go to the store and buy. It's in the, it's in the bulletin. They need baby wipes, man. I mean, they, they, and I also found out they need diapers really bad. So you can go buy those things. You can go do that, bring those to the church. We'll be collecting it. But if you're saying, Pastor, I don't want to go do all that shopping, you can, you can leave a donation, and we'll get those things for you. Here's what you have to understand. You say, well, why carry it down? A lot of times people don't realize this, and they say, well, we'll just send the money. You get down to where they're at, there's no supplies. So sometimes you've got to carry the miracle. Sometimes you, it's not, Sometimes it's hard. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Can you give him a hand clap of praise? I want to give for next week 10% of Kelby's sales. Oh, praise God. Thank you. Ron just came up and he said, I, I, he said I, next week, he said, I want to give 10% of Kilby sales. So you all go to Kilby's and eat this week. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Thank you. I'll be there, Ron. Get ready for some big orders. That barbecue you've been planning, now's the time to do it. <laughs> we love you guys. Stretch your hands to heaven. Let me bless you. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I pray your blessing over them. God, let them know that you've made them the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, that you'll bless them going out and coming in, and that, God, you've given us the opportunity, though we may not realize it at the time, to carry a miracle for you. Let us carry it with joy. Help us to understand what an impact you have or when we just release what we have in our hand. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. God bless you. In the lobby, it's Debbie's birthday. There's cake in the lobby. And I don't even know whether or not you realize this yet, but your theme is s'mores. Annette and Terry told me that they need some s'more hugs. They need s'more loving. And so go out there. Go out there real quick. Don't grab her. Let her get to the coffee shop and see those s'mores before they get eaten. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week. Well, this, 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 this coming up, we will